had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, ever, ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. I often wonder how surprising it must have been for the first disciples on that very first Easter Sunday morning when they understood, began to understand for the first time that God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them. All the things they thought Jesus was going to do, maybe put Israel back in the political power, kick out the Romans, be the one that they expected. They never expected this, that God sent his son to die for them. And I can only imagine the shock on their faces. I mean, put yourself back a couple thousand years and imagine, just use that God-given imagination, the shock on their faces when it finally dawned on them, he's alive. Jesus is alive. Because of love, Jesus laid down his life for you and me. And because of God's power and his plan, he now lives for you and me. That is a great surprise. Life is filled with lots of surprises. Think about it. Uh, you probably had a few this week. Sometimes fun surprises, things that we like, like getting a notice from the IRS that you actually made a mistake in your math and you're getting more back than you thought. Never had that happen, but that would be awesome if that did. Sometimes scary surprises, like the IRS sending you an audit notice. Been there, had that happen. That's not so much fun. Sometimes surprises, like uh, your wife tells you. I remember the four times that we had children. My wife says, I'm pregnant. And how awesome that was, and how cool that a surprise that was. Now, being my age, it wouldn't be so surprising. Well, it'd be very surprising, and not so much fun to hear that at 57. But sometimes we have these surprises, and sometimes they're horrible surprises, things we don't want to hear, things we don't want to experience, like hearing the doc say, I'm sorry, but we're dealing with cancer. And I experienced that almost three years ago. 
Life is often filled with the unexpected. You know that. If you've lived longer than a month or two, you've already figured that out. Life is filled with surprises and the unexpected. When I was a little boy, we lived in Renton, Washington for a while, and we lived in a house where my brothers and I, we had a basement bedroom. We were down in the dungeon. I have a baby sister. She's the youngest of four kids, and she was spoiled. Uh, Being the only girl in the family, the youngest, the baby, trust me, she was spoiled. And her brothers all knew that. Now, when my sister grew up and grew older, and by the time she hit, you know, junior high, I was her protector, I was her big brother, and I've always been that since then. But when she was little, there was a lot of envy that we had, my brothers and I, toward her. She got to sleep upstairs in a room next to mom and dad's. We knew, we knew that often she did not go to bed at the same time we did, that mom and dad would bring them in and let her sit with with them and watch a little TV and have bowls of ice cream. And we were jealous. And so one night, and I I kid you not, I I only did this once, but one night I uh, decided I was going to scare my sister. And so when my mom sent the boys down to the dungeon to go to bed, I, I went down there like I was going to bed, but then got up and snuck into my sister's bedroom, got underneath my sister's bed, and I laid there ever so quietly. My mom brought my sister in, put her in bed, and said all sorts of sweet, nice things to her, and prayed with her, and it was just, and I'm under the bed just, you know, puking at my, I couldn't believe how, but anyhow. My mom says, good night, sweetheart, turns off the light, leaves my sister there. And I waited just long enough for her, you know, that twilight zone, that la-la land, just before you're asleep. I waited, and I could hardly stand it. Finally, I reached up, and I grabbed her arm, and in the scariest, loudest voice I could, said, I'm going to kill you. Well, she screamed, left a little puddle in the bed, actually. Next thing I know, my mom is dragging me from under the bed saying, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Sometimes um, surprises are fun. Sometimes not so much fun. But what does all of this have to do with Easter? Well, the Easter story is packed with unexpected surprises. In fact, shocking surprises. And here's the main thing. And here's the thing I want to land on hard today. Here's the biggest surprise for the disciples and the followers of Jesus. Here it is. Death is big, but God is bigger. Death is big. We all know that. We all, a lot of us fear death. We've all had to deal with the reality of death. And they knew that. They knew that death is big. But the surprise for them that Easter Sunday morning was death is big, but God is bigger. I want to read to you from Mark chapter 16. And it's the Easter story found in the first part of Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Sabbath is Saturday, when it's over, Mary Magdalene, and that's, that's the woman who had seven demons cast out of her, Mary, the mother of James and, and Salome, brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, so Sunday morning, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? They knew that it had been... Uh, covered and sealed, and everyone wondered, well, what, how are we going to deal with this? Maybe they thought, well, there'll be somebody there that can help us. Verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, entered into this place where Jesus' body had been, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on, on the right side, and they were alarmed. They were shocked. They were surprised. They were blown away. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell the disciples and Peter. And I love the fact that the angel said, and Peter. Remember the one who denied Jesus three times, the one who thought it was all over. And they said, go tell the disciples, and, and don't forget Peter. 
he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he said, just as he told you. Verse 8, trembling and bewildered. Can you imagine? I mean the adrenaline rush and the shock and the surprise. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. These women were shocked and surprised at what they discovered that Sunday morning at the empty tomb. Now, out of love for Jesus, they had gone early. Uh, They brought spices. Uh, Jews did not practice embalming of the body, but they wanted to clean him up. They wanted to just give him a, it was an act of of devotion and love for Jesus. Maybe they just needed some closure, but they had gone there because they loved the Lord. And then what they find is an empty tomb. In fact, there's an angel. John and Luke actually tell us there were two angels. Mark only mentions the one because it was only the one that spoke to them. But they encounter these angels and they get terrified. You know, almost every instance of uh, angelic encounters in the scriptures has the same reaction. We humans run into an angel and we go, oh, you know, we just get freaked out. It's, you know, we fall on our face. We have no idea, you know, this is way outside of our comfort zone. And that's why the angel said, don't panic. Why? Because they were panicky. And then the angel says, you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Seven mind-blowing words. He is risen. He is not here. Seven words that changed everything for these women, for the disciples, and for countless millions who've followed Christ over the last couple of thousand years. Seven words that surprised and shocked the first century and still surprised and shocked many in the 21st century. Seven words that matter because Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. It stands or falls on that. If Jesus did not come back from the dead, like he said he was going to, then at worst he was a liar, and at best he was a lunatic. If it didn't happen, then why would we trust anything he said? It stands and falls. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. It stands and falls on the resurrection. See, if Jesus did rise from the dead, as we Christians believe and have celebrated for thousands of years on Easter, then Jesus is who he says he is. And God proved that though death is big, he is bigger. Christianity, unlike every other religion on the planet, is not a self-help and self-improvement program. We don't encourage you just to follow some path to enlightenment. We don't say just do all the right things. Do enough good and and maybe you'll make it through the pearly gates. It is not a self-improvement, self-help plan. It is based on one thing. It's not based on our ability to fix ourselves. It's completely founded on the hope that no matter how dead, lost, or broken we are in our sins, we can know and experience the resurrection power of God in our lives. That's why we celebrate Easter. Rick Warren, I saw a video from him. He's the author of uh, Purpose Driven Life, a pastor in Southern California. I watched a short video of him this week, and, and he, he said, the answer is Easter. What's the question? The answer is Easter. How do we deal with death? The answer is Easter. How do we deal with the power of sin and darkness in our life? The answer is Easter. We can know the resurrection power of God in our lives. If God can beat death, then he can beat anything. I'd grown up in church all my life. I was a PK, a preacher's kid. Been at church since I was a week old, and I hit my early 20s, and uh, I became very angry and bitter at God. Another story for another time. But in my anger and my bitterness, I rejected everything I had grown up with. I rejected God. 
I rejected my faith. I rejected the church. I rejected those who followed Jesus. I rejected my wife. And I, I made friends with, befriended, started to hang out with people who hated God as much as I did. People were bound by drugs and booze, and I did things too shameful to speak of. But one night, at a Bob's Big Boy in Sunland, California, a man, a friend of mine, Steve Overman, said, hey, can we spend some time together? And Steve had loved me in the midst of all my stupidity and failure and sin. He just loved me. And I said, I guess. And we sat there at that Bob's, and he, for about 35, 40 minutes, pretty much read me the riot act. He said, Bubna, God loves you. I love you. But you're at a fork in the road, and you can choose life or you can choose death. God's way or your way. Be honest with you, I remember sitting there thinking, I, I, I was shocked. I was surprised at his bluntness. I mean, boy, he unloaded on me. But I realized something else, and I was shocked by this as well, that God had never given up on me. I could see it in the love of, of Steve, in the, in the words that Steve spoke to me, and the kindness that Steve had shown me time and time again, that though I had given up on God, God had never given up on me. I walked home that night. I just lived a few blocks away, and I got to uh, my house, and there was a big rock on a hillside. In fact, someday I'm going to take a picture of that rock. Because I sat there, and that was one of those moments for me that changed everything. I sat there on that rock, and I said, God, I'm not even sure you want me back. I'm not even sure if, uh, if, if, you, if you really do want me back in the church, because I'm messed up. But God, if you do, I surrender. And I realized, sitting there on that rock, that though my sin... And my darkness and my death was big. That God was bigger. That God's grace was bigger. I knew that a flash flood of death and destruction had tried to take me far from God. And I, that's the best word picture I can give you, that I just got caught up in this current of, of garbage and foolishness and sin. And I, know, I knew that it tried to take me far from him. But I also knew, I knew that night that God was giving me a bridge, that he was giving me a way home. People can argue over and reject the reality of the resurrection. And I've had plenty of conversations with people who just say, oh, that's just crazy. You Christians are just stupid. That's, how can you be so gullible to believe in a risen Savior? They can argue history. They can argue theology. But one thing that people cannot argue, they cannot reasonably deny a changed hearts and lives of the countless millions over the last 2,000 years who have been radically changed by an encounter with a living Jesus. A radical encounter with a living Lord that changes everything. Death is big, but God is bigger. And he's provided a bridge for you and me, a way home. I want you to watch this short video with my friends Lacey and, it's about Lacey and Shane. Let's watch this together, and I'll come back and wrap it up. and look at it as though I had two very distinct chapters, life before the crash and everything after the crash. 
When I met Shane, he was a chemical dependency counselor. He did interventions for families. If they had a loved one, you know, out on the street, he would go find them. And he had been in recovery for six and a half, seven years. A leader in the substance abuse recovery community here in Spokane. Shane and I began to date and I just fell in love with him for his big heart and his passion to change the world. When I look back and think where it went wrong, I think Shane was so busy taking care of everyone else that he forgot that self-care piece. I was still drinking around him and that's too much uh, for a true alcoholic to be around and he started to drink with me. As I look back on those days, they were so dark and painful and we were both hopeless. I was in a parking lot when I got that phone call. The person that called me told me that Shane had been in a car accident and he had been driving under the influence and that his passenger had been killed. My whole world was turned upside down by that one phone call. Shane pled guilty to vehicular homicide and was sentenced to 129 months in prison. I had to make a decision to surrender this whole situation and our life over to God. I remember we got to talk with our church family and they embraced us and were truly there for us. And that's a big part of why I chose God was because the love that they showed us. Shane was incarcerated and the only time I got to see him for 11 months was through glass. And he actually proposed through that glass. And it was beautiful. Choosing to live really is like crossing a bridge. And a bridge does nothing for you if you don't choose to cross it. And Shane and I have both chosen to cross that bridge into a new way of living. I found freedom and I found sobriety and a deeper love for my husband and a marriage that is braided with God. My life works today. And Shane is living within a war zone of a prison population and he is having a huge impact. The love story that Shane and I are living out is, is absolutely amazing and it's pretty odds-defying. It, it really is, but it's the result of another love story, a love story that was written over 2,000 years ago when God said, I will do anything, anything to make you whole, and I am all you need. I guess what I've learned and what my heart longs for people to know is 
there's no too far you can go. There's no too lost you can get that Jesus won't find you and save you. And he died on the cross to make sure of that. I took the long way home and Shane took the long way home. But my home is in the heart of Christ. And he sought me and he's always been there. And I finally found him. But most importantly, I chose him. And when everything seems so dark, so painful. I asked him to carry me across the river of despair, and he did. He really did. When everything seems so dark and painful, I asked Jesus to carry me across the river of despair, and he did. I saw Lacey this morning. She's sitting here somewhere. She walked in and said, I'm going to preach your message today because what a powerful truth. What an amazing story. You can never go too far or be too lost for Jesus to save you. God never gives up on us. I hope you hear that today. Lacey was right when she said, now choosing to live really is like crossing a bridge. The bridge does nothing for us if we don't choose to cross it. We must choose. We've got to choose him. Anne Lamont, in her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, tells a story about a nun who kept asking God to take away her character defects. And he kept begging God, please, you know, she just would beg God, please take away my character defects. And after years of pleading this prayer, God finally got back to the nun and said, I'm not going to take anything from you. You have to give it to me. The point is that we've got to come to this place, this decision of surrender to God. The disciples and the women on that very first Easter Sunday morning, they were devastated. Friday and Saturday were horrible days for them. A river of despair had robbed them of their hope. The reality and the tragedy of death had consumed them. But everything changed Sunday morning. The empty tomb and the risen Lord changed everything. They now knew beyond any shadow of a doubt, death is big, but God is bigger. And eternal life is ours for the taking. But here's the deal. You cannot know the resurrection power of God until you say yes and until you surrender to him. It's there. It's ours. It's like a socket in the wall. It's, power's there. 
But it doesn't come until you plug in, until you embrace it, until you surrender. In other words, we can never know a changed life until we experience the exchanged life where we say, okay, God, I'm giving my life to you. You gave your life for me. I'm giving my life to you. Some of you are here today, and you're at that bridge crossing, and you know it's time for you to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe just a handful, but you have yet to make the decision to become a Christ follower, and you know, just in your gut, and your heart right now, you know today's the day. This is the moment where I need to say yes and surrender my life and become a follower of Jesus. Some of you have taken the long way home, like me. Uh, you're a prodigal. I was a prodigal, and now, and once upon a time, and you're that, you've been that way, that prodigal son or daughter, and you've made a decision long ago to give your life to Christ, but for whatever reason, you wandered away. Maybe you were angry. Maybe you were bitter. Maybe you just gave up. I don't know why, but you've been that prodigal son or daughter, and you've wandered from God, and it's time for you to cross the bridge and come home. Some of you need to ask Jesus to carry you across that bridge of despair. You look at your life, and all you see right now is this river of despair, death of finances, death of a relationship, death of a dream, all this stuff before you. And you maybe even thought, I'm just going to dive. I'm just going to throw myself into this and give up. And today, I need you to hear this. Jesus is the bridge from death to life. He will carry you across if you'll let him. In just a moment, I'm going to have the band come, and we're going to sing a Closing song of surrender to God. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do today, and it's something we've never done before. But I'm going to ask you to make a bold statement of faith today. I'm going to ask you to have some guts and to make a decision and to make a bold statement of faith and to walk across this bridge behind me right now this morning. As we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to come here to, the, to my right, your left, and to come up these steps and to walk across this bridge. Why do I need to do that? Well, because this is your declaration. For some of you, this is your declaration. Today, I am surrendering my life to Jesus. Today, I'm becoming a Christ follower. And this act is a public declaration of, yes, I'm going to follow him. Some of you have been prodigal sons or daughters. And today, you know it's time. God has never given up on you. And you know it's time to say, yes, God, I want to come home and this will be the bridge home for you. Some of you, last couple of months, we've given out dozens of new believers packets. As you've left here, you've, you've made a decision, you pick one of those up. And today is your opportunity to make a public declaration, to say, yep, uh, you know, it's time for me to, to declare before God and everybody that I belong to Jesus, and you need to come and walk across this bridge. And some of you, and maybe quite a few of us, need to do this today as an act of surrender to God. We need to surrender a worry, a fear, some, some desperate thing that we've thought or worried or, or been consumed by. We need to surrender maybe a sin to God. And by walking across this bridge behind me as we sing the song, you're saying, God, today I'm crossing from death into life. Today I'm, I'm crossing from the darkness into the light. Today I'm surrendering this. And Jesus, I need you to carry me across this bridge. As we sing the song of surrender in just a moment, I'm asking you, I'm begging you. Don't worry about anybody else but you and Jesus. But make this decision today to walk across this bridge. And by the way, this is the safest place on the planet for you to declare your love and surrender to Jesus because many, many, many of us have already done that and we will celebrate with you. Bow your heads, let me pray for us. Father, again, we are amazed, shocked, surprised at your love. I, I don't ever want to grow... Um, too familiar, God, 
with all that you've done for me, that it loses its ability to absolutely amaze me. God, you sent Jesus. You sent him because we needed that bridge between death and life, between darkness and light. You sent Jesus for us. You sent Jesus for me. And some of us are sitting here this morning, and we need to make that decision, that choice to cross the bridge. A bridge does nothing for us if we don't choose to walk across it. And today, we need to choose to embrace the cross, to, to believe in you, to believe that you suffered Jesus on that cross for our sin, and that you live today for our, for our lives, for us, so that we can be empowered to do what we could never do on our own, to become the men, the women that we could never be without you. God, we need to surrender. We've wandered far from you. Today, we need to come home. God, there are things in our life that we just need to let go of. And as a, just a physical act of, of letting go, we need to walk this bridge today. And God, thank you that you provided a way for us to be set free. That death is big, but you are bigger. Bigger than the darkness, bigger than the sin, bigger than the stuff that threatens to consume us. You are bigger than that. Your grace is bigger. And so overwhelm us right now with that, I pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me explain. In fact, let's stand together right now. We're going to sing this song. Ushers are going to come. We will be taking our offering right now. If you're a guest, don't feel obligated to give. Drop a communication card. So there'll be activity. Ushers will be moving. But I'm going to ask you. And you think, well, I just, do I have to do this? No, you do not have to. Should you? Yes, you should. Take the step. Go there to Pastor Matt, right on the right side, the left side of, of the stage. And then come across this bridge as a declaration of your love and your devotion and your surrender to Christ as we sing this song together. Let's move to him. <laughs> you guys, you wrecked me this morning. I'm down here bawling. Thank you for saying yes. For making a choice to publicly say that I need to go from here to there and I need you, Jesus. The choice we make today, the choice, here's the good news, you'll get to make tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and a thousand morals, tomorrows from tomorrow. This, this is a choice we constantly make to surrender. Have you noticed that sometimes we give things to God and we take them back? Anybody besides me? And so I, I want to encourage you don't ever forget this moment. It's a stake in the ground for some of you. It is that moment where you said publicly, yes to God. And let this be one of those things when you look back, you remember, God, that meant something, and it means something now. If you need prayer today, our prayer team will be down front. If you'd like communion, it's on both sides of the room. If you began your life as a Christ follower, you said yes for the first time. We've got packets by the doors on the tables for new believers. We've got a Bible, some material gets you starting your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. And I want to invite you to come back next week for our regular services. Some of you made this choice today, and it's the beginning of a new community of faith, of being part of a family. And I want to encourage you to come back. But here's my blessing for you. May Jesus and the power of his life, his resurrection power, be yours today and tomorrow and for the rest of your days. And may you know that though death is big, sin is dark, and life is sometimes hard, God is bigger. He's bigger. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.